All right, that's kind of the question of the day. Do we obey God no matter what we feel, right? We've been in a series called The Time Is Now, uh, working our way through the book of uh, Haggai. And uh, so get your Bibles out, get to Haggai, uh, or get your app out, find it. Uh, whatever you do, at the minimum, make sure you grab the half sheet, will you? And uh, follow along. I think some things you're going to want to circle and take notes on today. Uh, so it's been kind of interesting as we've started in working through the book of Haggai, but now you've probably noticed that Haggai is big in uh, noting dates, right? Uh, and so right from the beginning, 1-1, one, one, it says, In the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month, right? And so that's when when God came to Haggai and he started to, to prophesy and question uh, priorities, right? Question the priorities. Say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you're, you're living in paneled houses and I don't have a house yet. There's a foundation there, but I don't have a house yet. Uh, you need to rethink your priorities. And then he came along and said in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the worth of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. And, you know, a couple months pass and they get discouraged. That was last week. They get discouraged and they have to be able to get through that discouragement with just receiving the presence, the spirit of God, right? And uh, just doing that in spirit power, right? And just do the work. And uh, then he comes along here on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so you can see what's been going on, right? It's been two months now uh, since uh, Haggai spoke to them about being spirit strong, right? And, and just growing through their discouragement, being spirit strong, and just staying steady and doing the work, right? Just spirit strong, do the work. And it's been three months since they started the whole project and said, yes, you know, God needs to be the center of our nation. He needs to be the center of Jerusalem. That's what it's all about. Remember, they're rebuilding the temple. And the temple was that center place, that that place where one knew God was at the center. He was present uh, among the people, right? And And he was their God and they were his people, right? So now those months have gone by, the work has gone by, and what's going on in the people's lives? They've pushed through the discouragement, and now they begin to ask the question, is this really going to make any difference? Is, is rebuilding the temple, is, is having God at the center of life, is that really going to amount to anything? Is that going to make any kind of substantial kind of difference? And so Haggai begins to address and talk to the people once again. And he begins his teaching time with them, and it's really a teaching time for us too, uh, because we ask that question, I think, don't we? Does it really make any difference that that you'll follow Christ? I mean, does it really make any difference to give your life absolutely completely to surrender all, just like we said? Does that really make any difference? And so Haggai comes along, and he begins to prophesy again, and he begins to do some teaching, and he uses questions to teach. He goes to the priest, and when he goes to the priest, he asks the priest two questions. Now, it's important to note, Haggai is not asking the priest the questions because he's confused or wonders what the answer might be. He knows the answer. So he is asking the questions because each question teaches us a simple truth, a simple reality, and a simple truth. And so he goes to the priest and he asks the priest a question. Here is the first question. 
If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and the fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated or does it become holy? And the answer is, the priest answered, no. No, the answer would be no, right? The answer is no. Now, what is that, what is that all about? Okay. So, so they make an offering uh, to God, right? Because the offering is made to God, the offering becomes His. If it's His, it is holy. Follow? So they make an offering, and then the offering goes to God. And because it's God's, it now becomes holy. And so the priest that would serve, who would make the offering, is then able to take the, the meat that is left over. He's able to take that, wrap it up in, in his priestly garments, take that home, and be able to eat it, be able to feed his family with it. And that's one way in which the priests were provided for. And so the question is, well, okay, the offering is God's. It is holy. If the priest wraps it up in his garment and he takes it home, and somewhere along the way it rubs up against something, it brushes against something, whether it's stew or bread or wine or oil, whatever it is, if it brushes up against something, is that something then also holy? And the answer everybody knows is No. Why is it no? Simple biblical principle truth. You ready? Holiness is not caught, but taught. Holiness is not caught, but it's taught. Right? You ready for a great theological word word, so you can go home today and say, Wow, I just learned this great theological word. You're going to be the hit at the, at, the, at the coffee urn when you go to work and you share this word with people. It's a great word. You ready? It's called sanctification. Great theological word in the church. And basically what it means is the process of growing in holiness. And the underlying assumption of sanctification is that even though God claims us and declares us to be holy, we still need to figure out how to grow in holiness. Holiness is something that we work at. Holiness is something that we're engaged in. Holiness is something that we simply grow in. And remember that offering? So the offering was brought to God, and because the offering was God's, it became what? Holy, right? So the more and the repeated times that you continue to offer yourself and give yourself, the more you put yourself in proximity with God, the more you engage with God, the more your growth in holiness is going to become. Does this make some sense? That's why Pastor Andrew and I are up here all the time, and we say things like, you need to get engaged in a small group. You need to get in a Bible study. You need to come to worship on a regular basis. Why? Because holiness is not caught. It's taught. It's something that we grow in, right? We grow to become more and more like Christ as we spend more and more time with Christ, right? We grow in that understanding. Simple biblical truth, okay? Now there's a counter-biblical truth that Haggai brings up with his next question. His next question uh, is, Haggai said, if a, person, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? So here's the question. So in the Old Testament, if you touched a dead body, you would be declared unclean. 
So his question is, okay, so if you've touched a dead body and you're unclean, and then you go and touch one of those things, the bread, the oil, the wine, the whatever, if you touch one of those things because you're unclean, do those things become unclean? And the priest answers, you're wondering about that one? Yes! The answer is, yes! Yes! Why? It's a counter-biblical truth, right? I tried to capture it this way. Sin is caught and taught to not. How do they do that? Sin is caught, and we have to be taught to not. You get that? Sin is caught. We have to be taught to not. I work really hard at this. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I can't tell you when. You tell me. I don't know. I labored over that thing for, for days here, right? But you, you get the principle, I think, right? Sin is caught, right? So, okay, you're, you're, you're in a group and uh, somebody <laughs> sneezes in their hand, right? Better use it. <laughs> sneezes in their hand. And then they say, hey, good to meet you. How excited are you to shake that hand? No, because you know what happens. If you shake that hand, they have a cold. You shake that hand, what are you going to catch? A cold, because that's the way it works, right? It's, it's caught. doesn't have to teach you, right? It's just caught. Well, that's the way sin is. Sin, right, living contrary to God, is, is caught. It, it, it rubs off, right? It just rubs off on others. How many times have you been in an experience where, where you've been out in a group and uh, you know, you've been imbibing, and uh, somewhere along the way you kind of say to yourself in the back of your head, you know, I think I kind of reached my limit here, kind of time for me to shut it down, right? But somebody in the group says, hey, come on, let's just have one more, right? One more for the ditch, okay? Come on, let's just have one more. And what happens to you? How easy is it for you to get caught, get wrapped up in it, and go ahead and do it? Even though you know in the back of your head, mm, probably, probably shouldn't do that. But you go ahead. Why? Because it's caught. It rubs off. It spreads. It's like that cold. It, it, it just spreads. Sin is caught. To not sin has to be taught. Fathers, it's Father's Day. How many of you put your kids through a class on how to sin? Pretty easy class if you did, right? Yeah, they get that one quick, right? No, it doesn't work that way, right? But what do you have to teach them? You have to teach them not to, right? You have to teach them not to. It comes easy for us to live contrary to God, right? It's simple biblical counterprinciple, right? While holiness is something that we have to grow in and teach, sin is something that's just caught. And it spreads and to teach ourselves not to. So Haggai raises these questions because what's been happening in the lives of the people? They have begun to question and doubt. And they're questioning and doubting whether God's even worth it. Well, having God at the center of our nation, building this temple at the center of our nation, at the center of Jerusalem, the center of our lives, having God at the center of our lives, will that really make any difference at all? And they're grumbling. And sin is being caught. 
right? We can go to Hebrews and see this validated in the New Testament as well. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many, right? One bitter root can grow and spread and defile many. How many of you had it in your work environment where one employee starts grumbling about this something or that something? And they start grumbling, and another person starts grumbling, and another person starts grumbling, and all of a sudden it spreads, right? How about in your extended families? One sibling starts grumbling about something, and then the other sibling gets on board and starts grumbling about something, and all of a sudden the whole family's in an uproar. How'd that happen? It just spreads because it's caught. It's like that cold. So Haggai says... So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Here is a huge turning point. Do you notice how God refers to the people of Israel in this verse? He calls them, so it is with this people. He did it once in the first chapter as well when he was describing how far away from him they had gone, right? And now they are so far away from him. They're grumbling so much. Sin is spreading. They're grumbling, doubting, questioning. They're so far away from him that when he looks at them, he doesn't even see them as his own anymore. That's the risk. That's the risk. The risk for us is that we forget that God is the center and the heart, that our heart is sold out for Him. The risk for us is to move away from Him and to get captured out there in the world and live a life that is less. To live a life that is less. And so Haggai comes along and he says, listen, if that's what's going on for you, if, if, if you're just not sure about God in your life or you're not sure where you are with God in your life, you need to stop and just think about it. He says it this way, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Now what's interesting in Haggai, remember it's how many chapters? Two chapters, thanks. It's two chapters long, right? It's only two chapters long. But five times, five times in those two chapters, Haggai calls the people to stop and think. Stop and think. That's a good thing. How many times have you said something before you stopped and thought about it and regretted it later? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands. That happens, right? How many times have you done something before you really stopped and thought about it and you regretted it later? Haggai says, wait, stop and think. Think not only about what you're doing, But think about the attitude of your heart. And that's the key. It all starts with the attitude of our heart. Because that's what's happening to God's people. They're questioning and they're doubting and they're wondering whether having God at the center of life will make any difference at all. And their heart is moving away from Him. Haggai says, wait, stop, put up a stop sign. you got to stop and think. Just look at your life, stop and think. We get the Proverbs. 
And, and so often we do the opposite of what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Right? Stop and think. Am I doing this because it's what I want to do or am I living for God? Is my heart in the right place? Is God at the center? Right? Is God at the center? Haggai does it this way. He suggests to the people of God that they stop and think, and he takes them through some questions, right? Some things to think about. The first place he starts is here. He says, as you're thinking about things, first consider how things were before, right? Before a stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Think about your life before God was at the center of it. Because that's that stone thing, stone on a stone. So before we started building the temple, before God was at the center of the nation, before God was at the, at the center of your heart, think about your life before. And what was it like? And then he gives an answer. He says, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. And when anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. What was their life like? It was less. It was less than what it could be. It was less. 50%, 60%, it was less. They were living a less life, right? Before, it was less life. And, And that's a simple truth. Think about your own life. Go ahead and do it. Think about your own life. I know that's true in my own life, right? Well, in the times of my life, when, when I wandered away from God, right? When my heart wasn't in the right place and I wasn't sold out and growing in holiness, when I wandered away and started doing my own way, what happened to my life? It became less. I did stupid things. I just did some dumb things. And I paid a consequence for it. Why? Because I wandered away and I didn't stop and think before I went and did it. That's it. And my life became what? It became less. It became less. So he's challenging the people and saying, listen, is that, is that what you want for your life? Is, is that where you want to live life? If, if that's where you want to live life, then stop building the temple. Stop having God the center. And, and you can just live this existence and it can just be this less life. But that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a less life. And then he says, stop and consider why. Stop and consider why the things that are happening in your life are happening. Now, we've got to be careful when we come to this this particular question. Because we ask the question, why, a lot. Right? Why is this happening? And usually when we ask the question, our immediate answer is to ask the question and then simply blame God and attribute everything to Him, right? So we've got to be careful because that's just not true, right? In this case, Haggai is saying, listen, I was at work. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. So God was allowing some negative things to happen in their life that created the less, right? He just let them live less. And that sometimes happens. That God uses things in our life, and they just, it creates less in our life. Now again, we've got to be careful, because not everything that happens that's bad in our life is God doing that, right? Sometimes it's just because evil's at work, 
Can't deny that one, right? Sometimes evil is just at work and things happen in our life because it's just evil at work. Sometimes things happen in our life just because we're selfish and we make bad decisions and we just do things we shouldn't and we pay the consequence. So the experience in Miami that just happened last Sunday, God wasn't doing that, right? That, that was a guy who was living out of his brokenness and his selfishness and decided to just wreak destruction. That was not a God thing, right? Sometimes things happen just because people just wreak destruction out of their own brokenness, out of their own sin, right? Sometimes evil's hard at work. But sometimes, sometimes God is allowing those things to happen. But notice why. In the question, Haggai answers it. He says, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. What was God's goal in allowing those things to happen? They stop and think and understand they're living less and come back. That they'd understand they're living less and return to him. Here's what I want you to know. Now's the time. Now's the time. If you're living less... Now's the time. Take a look at your life. Look at what's happening. And say, is this really, is this the life God wants me to live? Or am I just living less? Is now the time for me to just give my heart to Christ and say, I'm going to live a new life? Now's the time. If you look at Psalm 51, it says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. He just wants our heart. He just wants our heart. So consider. Consider what life was before. Consider your life right now. Why is it the way it is? And then ultimately, consider. What is God's desire? What, what is his desire? Well, why does God want them to build that temple? Why does he want to be at the center of Jerusalem? Why does he want to be at the center of the nation? Why does he want to be at the center of his people's lives? Why does he want to be at the center and the heart of your life? Haggai says, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. Now is the time. Until now. Until now. Because now, now is a day, now is a time when you can understand what God wants to do in your life and how full and abundant He wants to make your life. That's why he wants to be at the center of Jerusalem. That's why he wants the temple to be rebuilt. That's why he wants to claim his people. Remember, he's bringing them out of exile in Babylon, and he's building and he's bringing them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the nation, to make them great again, to make their life full again, to make the nation complete again. He has a vision and a purpose beyond anything they could see or imagine. And the problem... They just need to give him their hearts. Just give him their heart. And say, no matter what, no matter the struggle, no matter whatever is, I just know it. I just believe it. I just understand that God has something greater and more for me. I just understand it. 
and you just push through. He says, therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I'll return to you. That's Zechariah, a prophet speaking to the same group of people, saying, listen, just, just give God your heart. Just give him his way and trust that he wants more. And God confirms with the prophet Haggai what his desire is. It says, from this day on, I will do what? What does he want to do? You see, when you give him your heart, when you're just sold out, when you just, it's, you grow in holiness, and you say, it's all about him. What does he want to do? He just wants to grow you. He just wants to bless you. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you greater than you were before. Everything he wanted to do with the nation of Israel, he wants to do with you. And it starts with your heart. Just stop and think. Paul tells us in Ephesians that that's what's available to us. That's if you, if you get sold out for Christ, if you receive Christ today and say, yes, my heart is absolutely, completely His, here's what Paul says He will bring into your life. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does He want to bring into your life? Not just five or six blessings, but what? Every. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. He is prepared to bring. And it starts when we just say, it's time to stop and think. Time to stop and think. And look at our lives and ask the right questions. And say, I am ready. The time is now. I am ready to just say, Jesus, you are Lord. And I surrender everything to you because I know that, that you have so much more in store for me than I could do for myself. Over these messages, we have been pausing and giving you time to think, right, uh, and reflect. And uh, that's because, remember, in this little two-chapter book, five times in this two-chapter book, Haggai says what? Consider, think. Just to give you a clue, we read the book before we put together the messages. And we noticed that and said, you know what? We ought to do that, <laughs> right? If Haggai says we ought to do it, we ought to do that. And, and that's why each week we've been ending the message and just saying, no, let's do that. Let's just take some time. Stop. Think. Consider. And, and just look at some questions. And so today I want to invite you to do the same thing. Just stop and think. Look at your life. Consider. Just consider it. Consider. Are, is, is sin working in your life? Is, are you caught? Right? Are you caught? Or, or are you being taught in holiness? Is, are, is, is your life moving in a path of growth and abundance and holiness? Right? What is it you need to really look at in your life and just say, enough. Enough. It's over. And then where's your heart? On, on a simple scale, 1 to 10, you decide which is greater and lower, right? It's up to you. I'm not going to quiz you on it or grade you on it. It's up to you, right? Where is your heart right now? Where's your heart? Are you in a place in your heart where you really have surrendered all and you trust that God can do more if you just trust Him? So let's just take some time and consider.
Heavenly Father, we pray to you. We come before you as your people. And we lift up to you our reflections. We lift up to you the thoughts of our hearts. We desire, Lord, that our hearts would indeed be surrendered to you, that you would be at the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, that you would build your kingdom, build your presence in us and through us. Teach us holiness. Forgive us when we are caught in sin. Please be the center of our hearts just as we are at the center of yours. Do this in us now. Make the time now. We ask and we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Just as God desires to be the center of your heart, uh, you are the center of his heart. God loves you. God desires to be uh, involved in your life, building you up, building his kingdom in you and through you because he loves you that much. He came to this world and he, he, he preaches a word of forgiveness and grace to each one of us where he says the sin that you have been caught in, the sin that has caught you, it is gone, it is forgiven, it is the past and instead I am leading you into a new future. Because I forgive you, and I love you, and I make you mine. You are my people. We experience that here at Christ Church every single week when we come to the table. It's a place where we tangibly receive God's grace and His goodness, His love, and His claim on our lives. I'd remind you, in the night in which He was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to all to drink, saying, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. If you wish to experience Christ at the center of your life, center of your heart, he desires to take that throne in your life here, now, the time is now to experience his grace and his goodness. If you're not ready for Jesus in this way, that's okay. The invitation is to remain seated. Come back, hear more about who Jesus is and the difference he can make in your life as Lord and as God. But if, if you are hungry, if you do thirst for his grace and goodness, he desires to bless you and be a part of your life this morning through these gifts. Would our helpers come forward? And as the helpers come forward, I'll give you a couple of quick reminders on how we do communion. Uh, you'll be invited beginning in the back uh, by one of our hosts. They're going to invite you into one of the aisles. Uh, we commune kind of via the section, so I'll talk to you guys over here. Uh, you guys are going to begin. You're going to be invited into this aisle over here. And as you come up, there'll be a station. You can approach the station, 
take the bread and eat it. You'll then be handed a small cup, and you can step to a chalice where your cup will be filled with wine. Then there's a basket as you guys return back to your seats on the far aisle. Uh, You guys in the center, you're also going to be piling into this aisle. As you come forward, there'll be two lines here, but your station is going to be here at the center. There we go. We got Dan there. So you can receive your bread, uh, then you'll be handed cups, and then there'll be wine. And then you guys on the far section, you guys will be coming up this aisle as the center section returns back to their seats via this aisle. You'll be coming up. You can work your way through the station, bread uh, onto wine, and then there's a basket as you return to your seats via the far aisle. If for health reasons you need gluten-free bread or if you need grape juice, you can approach me. I'll be up at the altar. And if you have a young one who's not yet communing, you'd like them to have a blessing, you can just bring them on up. I'm happy to give them a pastoral blessing. These are the gifts of God for people of God come to his table, those who hunger and thirst this morning.